Now, don't raise your hand on this next one, but how many of you are discouraged now? Well, people raise their hands anyway. I've often pictured discouragement like a spiritual python that wraps itself around the soul of the believer and squeezes the life out. Among all the weapons in Satan's arsenal, discouragement is absolutely one of the top. Discouragement takes the skip out of your step, the smile off your face, the gleam out of your eye, the zest out of your zeal. When you're discouraged, you can't see the light at the end of the tunnel. You believe you're stuck. You may even believe that it's over. Some of you believe that today. You believe you've seen your your best day, or at least a voice is telling you that. You're never going to come out of this. You're done. God's done with you. And it could be over a betrayal. It could be over a broken relationship, lost job, what looks to you like a lost career. And you're discouraged. There's been setbacks, disillusionments, betrayals. People weren't what you thought they were. A person isn't who you thought they were. And it's left you discouraged. Where was God? Where was God in all of this? And what is he going to do now? And you're struggling over over whether he can do anything at all. You know what? You're not alone. Because in Nehemiah chapter 4 verse 10, we're going to read about how Judah experienced discouragement that they could not seem to pull themselves out of. And I'm going to show you how they fell into discouragement, what the enemy used to get them discouraged. And then I'm going to show you how Nehemiah, by the wisdom of God, gave them a word and pulled them out. Because God doesn't want you discouraged. God doesn't want you in the mully grubs. He doesn't want you having lost your vision or your purpose or your sense of destiny. He wants you excited. There's nothing more contagious than a Christian with a smile and an excited countenance. It's God's greatest billboard is your face. So, let's read two verses. Now, this is describing when Judah sank into discouragement. Then Judah said, The strength of the laborers is failing, and there is so much rubbish, we are not able to build the wall. Bad report. Now, that's a discouragement verse. Now, you go to verse 14, and we see an answer for the discouragement. And I looked, now this is Nehemiah talking, I looked and arose and said to the nobles, the leaders, the rest of the people, read this with me, everybody, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, great and awesome, and fight for your brethren, sons, daughters, wives, and your houses. Now, believe it or not, that one verse got them back in the game, and I'm going to show you how. So, Lord, we just thank you right now that the spirit of discouragement is going to be obliterated by the word of God today. The people that have walked in this room discouraged are going to be encouraged instead. And I thank you that your word will not return to me void, but will do what you have sent it forth to accomplish. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn to your neighbor and tell them, don't be discouraged, be encouraged. Now, this is my wife, and she is noticing that the flowers were backward. 
And only she can interrupt me like this. And doesn't she look pretty today in that black and white? Yeah. <laughs> now, let me give you a little bit of background. Nehemiah is the man God laid his hand on to take the captive people of Judah. They have been in the Babylonian captivity for 70 long years. Think about that. Languishing in captivity all that time. God then moved on Cyrus, the Persian king, and Cyrus said, you can go back and rebuild your city. So Ezra led the first group to rebuild the temple, and Nehemiah led the second group to rebuild the wall, the wall surrounding the temple and the city. Now, this was a huge moment because they had been all that time held captive, essentially in prison in a foreign land with a foreign language, didn't know anybody, didn't talk their talk and walk their walk, and Babylon didn't know their God. So when God let them loose to go rebuild, it was incredible. And when they came back to rebuild that wall, you need to understand that the importance of a wall is hard to express because once that temple was up, there was still no wall. So the enemy could come and go as he pleased. So to rebuild the wall was to fortify the city against attack. It's like when you and I begin to grow in Christ, and many of the gaps, as it were, in our spiritual wall, where the enemy came and went, begin to be closed, and the wall begins to grow, and we mature in Christ, and we get stronger. And when that happens, that is when the enemy wants to attack you and me. It's when you commit to go all the way with Jesus. It's when you say, I'm tired of playing religion. I'm going to seek God with all my heart. And I'm going to make my life count for him and everything I've got is his. When you do that, the enemy does not sit on his hands and say, well, that, that one's gone. No, he says, I better attack now before the wall is completely built and they really know what they're doing and they understand spiritual warfare and they have matured enough that they are not blown about by every wind that comes through. And that's what happened here. As soon as Nehemiah and the people began to rebuild the wall, the enemy attacked. And the enemy was personified in two men named Samballot and Tobiah. So when I say Samballot and Tobiah, just think Satan, the enemy. Because they were a picture of Satan. As the wall began to go up, they attacked, and they did everything in the world they could to stop them. They used intimidation tactics, threats, distractions, lies, outright lies about them. They did everything they could to stop the work. Yet Nehemiah, he was a tough old guy. I'm telling you. Matter of fact, in the end of the book of Nehemiah, he's so mad at some of the people, he slaps a few of them. He's a Texan. No, I'm kidding. He really did, though. He got so mad at some of the men for marrying pagan wives, he took them aside, pulled their beard, and slapped them. Now, that's not for the New Testament. Let me be clear about that. Don't think you can go out and slap somebody. But he was tough. And, and so Nehemiah soldiered on. In the, in the midst of all this attack, all these attempts to stop them, he just soldiered on. The people were of one mind, one heart. The Bible says the people had a mind to work. So they were motivated. 
They were into this. They were cranked. They, they wanted to see the will of God done. They were excited. And so they gave it all their being. Let's rebuild this wall. Let's get it back up. Let's, let's reclaim our vision, our identity, our purpose. Let's go for it. Let's do it. We were 70 years in captivity, and now we're free, and God's given us a second chance. So let's do it. But then something happened. Something happened at the halfway point. The Bible says, so we built the wall, and the entire wall was joined together all the way around up to half its height. And at the halfway point, the people fell under a spirit of discouragement. Now, I've noticed something in life. I've lived long enough to see this in my own life and others. There's something about the halfway point. When you're half done, but you still got halfway to go. You're halfway through that degree. You say, man, I've done it halfway, but I don't know if I can go on and finish these last two years or whatever it is. Or you're halfway through a marriage restoration. You have fought hard to build the first half of the wall. And then, man, you look and you say, I don't know that I can go the rest of the way. There's something about that halfway point. When you look at it's half done, but it's, it's half undone. You, you still got a ways to go. And these people just kind of breathed deep and they started fainting. They started coming under discouragement. And discouragement, folks, it literally paralyzed them. It absolutely stopped them. An ominous message was sent to Nehemiah that we already read, but I'm going to read it again. Then Judah, that means the whole tribe of people, the tribe of Judah said, to Nehemiah, the strength of the laborers is failing, and there's so much rubbish, we're not able to build the wall. At the halfway point, the people experienced discouragement that put a, 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 a death lock on them. And the whole work stopped, and the enemy said, ah, got them. They stopped. They became discouraged. Exhaustion took over. They wanted to quit. Their motivation was gone. The enemy had worn them down by his continual attacks. He had worn them down where they just said, forget it. They put down the tools, lost their vision, lost their dream, and walked away. Now, thank God for the Word of God because the Bible tells us exactly what it was that, that added to them experiencing a spirit of discouragement. And the very things that took them down take you and me down. So I'm going to show you first what they did, how, how they got discouraged, and then I'm going to show you how Nehemiah brought them out of it. First, it was all about their focus. Now listen carefully to me today. Your focus will make you or break you. Your focus is the lens through which you see life. How you look at you, how you look at God, how you look at trials, how you look at problems, how you face difficulties. Remember, 12 spies went over into the promised land to check it out. 10 came back saying, we were like grasshoppers in their sight and, and they are giants. Focus. Two of them said, ah, they're no big deal. God will take them down. We can take them. We can take the land. Focus. Your focus is either positive or negative, full of faith or full of doubt. Your focus will 
bring you victory or bring you defeat. I know this because it's all through the Bible and I've experienced it myself. How you look at the things you're facing. Your focus either says God can or God can't. God will or God won't. I'm going to make it or I'm not. God had given Jerusalem to them and they intended to step back in their God-given purpose and reclaim it. Rebuilding the wall was a huge part of that. But at the halfway point, their focus shifted from the restoration that was before them to the rubbish around them. Let me tell you what they did. They focused, instead of focusing on the dream before them, they focused on the debris around them. The Bible says, they said, there's so much rubbish, so much homework, so many hours yet to go, so many problems to iron out. Tools, dirt, trash, debris, rubbish. So they took their eyes off their dream. Their dream, we're coming back. We're being restored. We're going to be all that God wanted us to be. We are going to take the land. We're going to be a city again. We're going to be the people of God. We are going to spread the glory of the Lord around the earth. That was their dream. And that was their purpose. But then they took their eyes off their dream and they started looking around at their circumstances. They focused on the rubbish. And as they focused on the rubbish, their heart sank. They said, wow, what a mess. This is just a mess. Are we ever going to finish? You know, it's not so much that you start. It's that you finish. There's a lot of people that start. Oh, they start the race. They start running that race. They're running like they're running a 100-yard dash. But you see them a few years later, and they hit the halfway point, and they are out of gas. And if ever, rarely if ever, they're in church. You see them and they don't have the zeal. They don't have the zest. They don't have the excitement. What happened to you? Well, they started well, but they didn't finish well. I'll tell you, church, I want to finish well. I want to finish running harder than I was when I started. I want to finish with pizzazz. I want to finish strong. What about you? Come on. Paul did. He said, I have finished my course. Fought the good fight. Run the race. Jesus said it is finished. And he finished strong. Well, they focused on the rubbish. The strength of the laborers is failing because there is so much rubbish. They had a choice. We can look at the cup half full or half empty. And they chose to say it's half empty. We can't do it. Now, the second focus mistake they made was this. They focused on their own inability rather than God's ability. This is so important. And and we're told that they did this. Watch this. Right on the heels of talking about being overwhelmed by the rubbish, by what was yet left undone, the people said to Nehemiah some crucial words. Watch this. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Watch this. We are not able to build the wall. That's autobiographical. You know what that says? They're looking within instead of up. They're looking within, and they're saying, hey, I'm feeling tired. I'm feeling kind of beat up. I'm feeling pretty exhausted. I'm, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not really, the, the thrill is gone. I don't, I don't feel it anymore, and, and, and I don't know if I can continue. And they lost a very, very important truth. Listen to what Paul said. I can, can you say that with me? 
I can, now say, do. All things. Now, a positive thinker stops there. Norman Vincent Peale stopped there. You can do anything you want. You can fulfill all your dreams. It's all you just making up your mind. And if you make up your mind, you can do anything you want. Can I tell you the truth? No, you can't. That's not true. You can't do everything you want to do in your own strength. So a good positive thinker goes with Paul for the first five words. I can do all things. But Paul said, through Christ who strengthens me. See, that's the secret to the believer. The the believer can keep right on going as long as we do what Jesus said. He that abides in me and I in him. I am the vine, you are the branches. You as a branch are to be grafted into the vine. And when you get saved, you're grafted into the vine. Then he said, if you abide in that vine, if you stay in the word and stay in prayer, then everything that is in the vine is going to flow into you. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, meekness, kindness, faith. You say, how'd you do that? I was just hanging there. What does a piece of fruit do? It doesn't do calisthenics hanging on the vine. It just says, I am plugged in, and the life source that comes from the vine is going into me. And as long as you do that, you can run through a troop, you can leap over a wall, you can climb any mountain, walk through any valley, pass through any fire, go through any trial. As long as you abide in the vine. And a lot of believers never get this. All their life, it's all about, I can or I can't. So they got to looking at themselves. And the whole, listen, God looked at them and said, well, of course you can't. The rebuilding of the wall was my idea. And where God guides, God provides. The whole rebuilding project was his doing. He had opened the door. He had moved on Cyrus to release them from captivity. God had promised himself to enable them and strengthen them. But somewhere along the way, they had a focus shift. They said, it's all about me and what I can come up with. And not what my God can do through me. And so they looked at their weariness and exhaustion and disillusionment. And they said, I'm done. If they had just looked up and said, Lord, in our weakness, be made strong. And which is eventually what they did. But at this time, they're looking within instead of up. Now, I promise you this. We always start sinking when we look to ourselves to do what only God can do. See, we can change a tire and we can go to work, but there's a lot of things we cannot do. Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. Now, that's a humbling verse. We can't bear fruit without him. We can't love without him. We can't complete the will of God without him. I am doing what the song says, learning to lean, learning to lean. I'm learning to lean on Jesus. You say, Pastor Jeff, then he's just a crutch to you. You got that right. What's your crutch? (laughs) That's right. What is it? Pot? Booze, endless relationships, willpower. What's your crutch? I'll tell you my crutch. I'm leaning on him. I'm walking with a limp, and he's my crutch. Amen? I know what some of you are thinking. Well, you know, I'm visiting today, and I just don't generally go to church because there's so many hypocrites. 
there's just hypocrites in church and you're all walking on crutches and it's just a crutch to you, religion's a crutch and I was invited here today, I'm a visitor though and I won't be back because I get really, really bothered by the hypocrites. Let me tell you how dumb that is. Can I tell you how dumb that is? That's like you saying, I'm not going to a gym because there's people out of shape in there. If everybody in there was muscular and perfect, then I'd go to the gym. Welcome to God's gym. Some of us are flabby, some of us are out of shape, but we love the Lord. <laughs> That's not in my nose. That just came out. So they lost their focus. They looked within and they looked around. They focused on circumstances and focused on their own inability. The third place they failed in their focus was they were focused on the words of the enemy rather than the words of God. Sam Ballot and Tobiah had literally hired people to go among the people of Judah and <clears throat> sow fear among them. The Bible records this. They're right on the heels of talking about the rubbish and talking about their own inability. The people of Judah said this. Our enemy is saying... Boy, is that telltale. Our enemy is saying, I want to ask you, who cares what the enemy is saying? But they said, our enemy is saying, they will neither know nor see anything till we come into their midst and kill them and cause this work to cease. And then they go to Nehemiah and they're kind of crying, pouting. They say, they've told us 10 times from whatever place we turn, they'll be upon us. <laughs> If you see the enemy working, pow, 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 pow. This is the way he works. He doesn't give you a one-two. He keeps doing it as long as you let him. Ten times they were told, we're going to be on you when you don't expect it, and we will kill you. So they had a choice. Whose report are we going to believe? What voice are we going to listen to? And we all have this choice every single day of our lives, don't we? Because the enemy is here talking. You, and let me tell you something about the enemy's voice. When I lived in East Texas, snakes were everywhere. And we learned, we learned what snake bite did to you. We learned the telltale signs of a poisonous bite. What it would do to your skin, what it would do to the limbs, what, what it did. We learned what a snake bite caused. Listen, I can tell you what a devil bite does to you. I can tell you what the voice of the devil does to you. Because when the voice of the devil talks to you and you receive it, you've been snake bit. You lose your joy, you lose your peace, you lose your vision. You feel condemned, you feel guilty, you feel unworthy. You feel like nobody loves you, you feel like God's a million miles away. You believe that your future is gone. You believe your mistakes are irreparable. When the enemy talks to you, when you get snake bit, it's easy to tell. You start dragging. You walk into church dragging. You're going through the motions. But there's no more joy, no more real meaning, no more real purpose. Don't wonder what's going on. You have been snake bit by the enemy. But if you know God is talking, here's what you feel. Peace. When you're listening to the voice of the Lord, joy, vision, excitement, zeal, Future, 
I can't wait to see what God's going to do. There's a smile on your face. You are contagious for Jesus. Joshua once said to the people, whose report are you going to believe? What voice are you going to listen to? Listen to the word of the Lord always. Always listen to the word of the Lord. Now, here's the, here it is in summary. When they got discouraged, it happened this way. They, their focus shifted from dream to debris, from God's ability to their own inability, and from the word of God to the words of the enemy. And down they went, and they're discouraged. The strength of the laborers is failing. Well, no wonder. So Nehemiah got up, slapped a few of them. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Nehemiah got up, and he brought, he said, he said, essentially, here's what he said. He said, all right, you've got a threefold attack going on. I'm going to give you a threefold solution. First, don't fear your enemy. He got all Judah together, and he said, what are you doing fearing your enemy? Do not be afraid of your enemy. You know, folks, fear comes from the enemy. The Bible says God hadn't given us a spirit of fear. If you're full of paralyzing, tormenting fear, that's not from God. It's from your enemy. For God has given us the spirit of power and love and of a sound, disciplined mind, not tormenting fear. For fear has torment, and he that fears is not made perfect in love. I looked said Nehemiah, and I rose and said to the nobles, the leaders, and the rest of the people, do not be afraid of those who are our enemies, what they might do to you, what they might say about you. Don't be afraid of them. Shake off the shackles of fear. Good advice. Let me tell you a little something about fear. Most fear is a big fat lie. What the fear is threatening you with is a lie. Nehemiah, like a skilled surgeon, he isolated and then operated on the various emotions that were taking them down. And the first one, fear, because fear and discouragement work together. When you're discouraged, fear comes in. And you get a fear of the future. You get a fear of loss. You get a fear of failure. Fear and discouragement are like evil twins. They, work, they feed each other. They speak together. They, they join hands to take you and me down. So he said, don't you dare be afraid of them. Greater is he. Now, I'm, this isn't what he said. I'm helping him here. I'm bringing some New Testament in. He said, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. You are more than a conqueror through him that loved you. If God be for you, who can be against you? Not Sanballat, not Tobiah, not anybody. You are the head and not the tail above and not beneath. You are a child of the living God. You will overcome. Faithful is he who calls you, who also will do it. And he that has begun a good work in you will finish it to the day of Jesus Christ. You're not going down, but you're going through. If God brought you to it, he's taking you through it. <laughs> Nehemiah said to them, don't you be afraid of your enemy. God is with us. Don't receive this spirit of intimidation. And I want to say to you today, church, the devil's a dog on a leash. Don't kid yourself. He may sound bad, and he is bad, Unless you are under the blood. He's a dog on a leash. His power is limited. His time is short. His future is grim. His days are numbered. One man said, I've had many fears in my lifetime, but most of them never happened. I had a lot of fears, but most of them never happened. 
Fear paralyzes you with what could be, with what might be, but it rarely ever materializes. More times than not, it's all smoke and mirrors, muster and bluster, a lion with no teeth. Fear is like a schoolyard bully. Ever had one of those? I did. Schoolyard bully. As soon as the bell rings, I'm going to whoop you, boy. But a schoolyard bully threatens you every day with a beating until you finally turn around and look at him and say, Boo! I'm not running. And the bully almost always runs because he was a lie. Two of my favorite verses about dispelling fear are Psalms 27.1. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Hebrews 13, 5, for he himself has said, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. So we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? When I had a bully, I was a little guy. Between when I was 14 or so and 16, I grew from 5'3 to 6'1. But when I was 5'3, I had a bully. And I'll never forget him. He was mean, and he tormented me. And so since I was small, you know what I did? I made a friend who wasn't small. (laughs) His name was Jim. Jim was what I wished I looked like. And one day Jim said to me, man, why do you run every day after school? Well, because I really have a harasser, and and that's him. He said, who? And I showed him. And he said, you stay close to me. (laughs) And so I'll never forget, one day we left school, and I didn't run. I walked right out like I owned the place, but right next to me was Jim. (laughs) And the bully saw me, headed towards me, and realized Jim was with me. And I, for once, gave the bully a look. Uh Uh-huh. Now, let me tell you something. He never bothered me because Jim said to me, you just stay close to me. Now, that's exactly what Jesus did. See, Jesus is the one who can look at the devil. And, and, and as long as Jesus is right here next to you, you can say, mm-hmm. Yeah, you can. You let Jesus handle the bully, the devil. Thank God we don't need to be afraid. Second thing Nehemiah said is remember the Lord. Don't be afraid of them. He said, remember the Lord, great and awesome. Now, he wasn't just saying remember that God is there, but he was saying remember what he's done for you already. He delivered you back then. He'll do it again. He healed you back there. He'll do it again. He guided you through that valley and over that mountain and through that fire and through that trial. And if he did it then, he'll do it again. Remember the Lord, great and awesome. Folks, when you're discouraged, pull out the file cabinet, look at your history, and start writing down all the times that God answered a prayer, that he moved on your behalf, that he delivered you from the devil, that he gave you a word of wisdom, that he guided you in the night. Look at all the times that he was there. Remember the Lord, rehearse the blessings of God, that he is great, and awesome, and if he was with you back then, he's going to be with you today. He'll do it now. 
Nehemiah said to them, get your eyes off the enemy and onto the great and awesome God that you serve. I love that. His prescription for discouragement was for Judah to quit looking within at themselves and around at their circumstances and start looking up to their God. Get your focus. Remember the Lord. Look up. Do you know the Bible always pictures the believer with an upward focus? Because you have two sets of eyes here, and you have the eyes of faith. And the eye of faith should always be turned up towards him. The psalmist wrote, my eyes are turned to you, O Lord God. My hope is in you. And one of my favorites, listen to this, Hebrews 12, 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders us, that is slowing us down, and the sin that so easily entangles us. And let us run with perseverance the race that is set before us. And then it says, we do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus. Yeah, that eye of faith is looking up. That eye of faith is turned towards him. That's why every morning when you wake up, head straight for the word. Don't turn on Good Morning America. It'll take you down. Open up the word of God and begin to read the promises of God. Set your focus on God. Get your focus on the promises and, and, and get yourself excited. George Mueller said, I pray every day until I am happy in the Lord. Get yourself happy in the Lord and full of the Holy Spirit. Then go out the front door and face flesh and devil. He said, he said, look at the huge advantage here of gain when we look up. He said, when you look up, when your focus is towards him, you're able to throw off everything that hinders you, that is dragging you down. You are able to discard the sin that entangles you like a spider's web. You're able to run the race with perseverance. Why? He said, we do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus. Turn your eyes upon Jesus, the song says. Look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and his grace. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Fix your focus on him. Don't be afraid, said Nehemiah. Get your eyes back on the Lord. And he ended it with this, fight. You're fighting a good fight. I'm reminding you of your why. Why are you here? Why are you here? Why are you in church today? Are you here just to see somebody, sing a few songs, listen to a message, and go home? Why are we here? See, if you understand why, you will always lead he who only understands how. You can know how to build a building, you can know how to build a church. But the leader is the one who knows why you're building the church. Nehemiah said, let me tell you about your why. Let me refresh you. We're fighting a fight. It's for your sons, your daughters, your wives, your houses, your posterity, your descendants. We're in a good fight. There are good fights and there's bad fights. If you have a fight with your spouse, it's a bad fight. If somebody offends you out there at the 7-Eleven and you beat them up, that's a bad fight. But a good fight is when you take the Word of God in one hand, the sword of the Spirit, and the shield of faith in the other, and you go forward with the cause of Christ. The cause of Christ is a good fight. Why are we in church? Because we're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a called-out people, 
that we would show forth the praises of him who has called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. We're the salt of the earth, the light of the world. The answer is not a new politician. The answer for America is a revived church. So Nehemiah is basically saying to them, remember the bigger picture. Remember the bigger picture. Paul said, I fought the good fight, finished my course, kept the faith. Now, do you know that the people heard that? And they said, okay, I'm not going to fear the enemy anymore. I'm not going to fix eight on the rubbish anymore. I'm going to look up. And I'm going to remember my why, why I'm building this wall. They came together. And in 52 days, that wall was done. An engineering marvel. 52 days, less than two months. This gigantic wall that you could run several teams of chariots around on the top of it was done. They got their mojo back by getting rid of discouragement. Can we stand together today? And I want to pray for the discouraged. Can we say together, can we just lift our hands towards the Lord today? Can we say something together? Say with me, Lord, I won't fear the enemy. And I will not fixate on the rubbish, the circumstances around me. And I remember you and all you have done for me. And Lord, I am in a good fight the fight of faith. Now, if you're discouraged today, I want you to say this, Lord, I give you my, my discouragement. I release to you those things that took me down. I forgive them. I forgive him, her, I won't hold a grudge. I lay down that unforgiveness. And in Jesus' name, I receive the lifting of this discouragement and your peace in its place. Hang on just a second. I just, God is resting on us right now in total silence. I want you to hear me now. I sense God here. You're not finished. You're not done. God is with you, loving you, comforting you, healing you, though sometimes you can't see it. He's going to lift you up dust you off, refresh you, restore your vision. You are not done. Don't give up. Don't give in. Don't quit halfway. Don't throw in the towel. Don't put up the white flag. God's with you. He loves you more than you will ever know. Now for the discouraged, I want you to lift up a hand. Those of you fighting discouragement. Many, many throughout this place. I want you to let the Lord touch you.
He's here. Talk to him in your heart right now. Lord, I receive the encouragement of the Holy Spirit, of the Word of God. You're not going down, you're going through. There's a light at the end of the tunnel, and it's not a train coming at you. It's God. I say, Lord, thank you for surgery on my soul today. Can we sing, turn your eyes upon Jesus? Let's just do that right now. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Get your focus on him. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth. And the things of earth will grow strange. His glory and grace. There it is. Let's sing it one more time. We lift our hands to the Lord. He's ministering to people. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full. Look full in His wonderful face. And the things of earth. And the things of earth will grow strange. Praise Him today. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord.